Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode three in our celebration of women in youth ministry. Today's episode is very special. Not only is our guest today an amazing minister, but an author of several books that maybe you've read. And if not, you should be because they're quite good. It's the one and the only Jen Bradbury or YM Jen on Twitter, which is just a great handle. And Jen, thank you for all the good work that you've done. Just want to take a midweek break and say thank you for all the support we've already received for this. We are excited for this month-long celebration. And so please tell your friends, Women in Youth Ministry, share with the sisters, men in youth ministry, sit, listen, and learn, and share with those that you have so much to learn from and so much to be appreciative of. If you haven't had a chance, go to youthministrybooster.com slash giveaway. We are giving away a big year, $500 or more in prizes to women in youth ministry. We are so thankful and want you to treat yourself for a whole year. Go to Youth Ministry Booster. We care. We care about those that care about young people. And if you are a minister that cares about young people, you need someone caring about you. And that's what we're here for. Just this week, the conversations about honesty for this month-long emphasis of honesty have been so important in the network. And for less than 20 bucks a month, it is a powerful testimony of what it means to have a support system. You heard it from Anna on Monday. You'll hear more about it from Jen today. You need a support network. If you are a minister caring for other people, you need people that are caring about you. And so we hope that this month-long celebration reminds you and encourages you and points you in the right direction to find the care that you need. Until then, I'll catch you at the end. This is our interview with Jen. Hello and welcome to Youth Ministry Booster. My name is Chad Higgins and I have the great honor again today to interview Jen Bradbury. Jen, how are you? I am excellent. Thanks for having me on, Chad. Jen, I am excited to talk with you today to hear about everything that you're doing to maybe talk a little bit about uh, some of your books. Uh, We've talked a little bit before the show about this. I'm convinced that you haven't slept since 2014. Uh, And so I'd love to hear uh, that experience from you. So tell us uh, before you dive into that, who you are, where you're from, what does that look like? Yeah. So I am a youth worker in the Chicago suburbs. So I am the minister of youth and family at Atonement Lutheran Church in Barrington, Illinois. Um, This is a brand new job for me. I just started about six weeks ago, uh, but it's my 16th year in youth ministry. Um, I'm married. I have a three-year-old daughter. And uh, so I love spending time with my husband and with my daughter. uh, And I also love to write, as you alluded to. Um, So I've written four books, uh, The Jesus Gap, The Real Jesus, Unleashing the Hidden Potential of Your Student Leaders, and A Mission That Matters. Um, And those are all about things that are really uh, important to me that I'm super passionate about and uh, that are things that have come out of my own ministries in really big ways. That's awesome. I'm blown away that you are able to not only be a mom, but be uh, on staff leading, you know, youth families and also be a writer. And so that is, that's absolutely incredible. And so, um, I really hope that if, if you're listening and you haven't had a chance to check out Jen's books, can you tell them like where they can find those? Where's the easiest place to, to check those out? Yeah, absolutely. So um, The Jesus Gap and The Real Jesus were published by the Youth Cartels. So the best way to get those is the Youth Cartels website, um, which you can just Google Youth Cartel. And then uh, the Student Leadership and the Missions book, A Mission That Matters, uh, were published by Abingdon Press. So you can get them on their website or those are also available on Amazon. 
some of you guys may have never heard of Amazon before. And so <laughs> it's a small website out there. Um, and I think you can find it at amazon.com. Uh, and so check those out. Those would be, I think, very much um, worth a look into. So Jim, tell us 16 years of student ministry, what got you into it? All right. Before you were crazy enough to write a book and go to school and all that kind of stuff, like what brought you into student ministry? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have a bachelor's in electrical engineering. So, you know, perfect, right? Like naturally youth ministry is what you do with that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so for me, uh, I went to the University of Illinois in Champaign. And while I was there, I was serving in a youth ministry. Uh, and the youth pastor at that church saw something in me and really called it out in me. And so my senior year, which happened to be uh, the year that 9-11 happened and the economy crashed, um, you know, what had been a sure thing in terms of electrical engineering jobs suddenly wasn't. And so I started applying for lots of engineering jobs um, and was just getting no hits at all. And along the way, I had this youth pastor friend who kept saying, Jen, there's more to the story than what you're, uh, what you're owning here. It's not just a matter of the economy. It's a matter of God's got something better that for you. And so he gave me a couple job sites in the youth ministry world. And I went on them and skimmed them. And within a couple of weeks, had a couple job offers. And so I uh, took my first job in youth ministry, lasted there 14 months, did everything I possibly could wrong, um, and ended in disaster uh, and left feeling like, okay, this job was absolutely not the right job for me, but like this calling is absolutely right for me. And it uses every one of my gifts and it energizes me and it challenges me. Um, and I see the fruit of what's happening. Uh, and so left that confident uh, that something else would come up. And indeed it did. And so here wow. I am. That's awesome. What, uh, what a story. How did your parents feel when you made the shift from electrical engineering to student ministry? What was, what was that like? What was your experience there? <laughs> Yeah, that is a uh, great question. <laughs> so I am. Also, are you guys still working through that? Like six we years? are indeed. So I am an only child, um, okay. and I am also the first in my family to have a college degree. Okay. And so my parents' vision for my life was very different than what my life has ended up being. And so they were frustrated, and they were hurt, and they didn't understand my choice. Yeah. Um, and uh, to a large extent, I would argue that they still don't. Um, and so, you know, even as I was going through this job transition this summer, you know, my dad still made the comment that, well, you know, you could always go use that engineering degree and like not saying it jokingly, being yeah. <laughs> totally serious. Um, and yeah, like if they had their way, I would be back into that. But it's so clear to me. It's so yeah. clear to my husband. Um to the people whose voices matter the most to me, uh, that, you know, this, this is God's call on yeah, my life. Absolutely. We, we sometimes navigate those things, right? Like, uh, especially when we're younger and I mean, even now, right. I mean, 30, 40 year old, you know, people like sometimes our parents still try to like, you know, they speak yeah, in the, the direction. <laughs> uh, and I mean, I look at my little daughter and, 
I assume I'll never do that, right? 30 yeah, years from now. <laughs> um, but uh, that, I think that that's real life, right? Like we walk through seasons like that and following Jesus is not always easy, right? I mean, not only for ourselves, but for the people around us that love us and care for us in a very deep way. Um, tell me over the last 16 years, what have, what's been like one of your favorite youth ministry moments? This could be a funny story, a meaningful story, whatever you love to tell. Yeah. So a favorite youth ministry moment for me, um, would be a mission trip, uh, that I took some kids on in 2011. So the church that I was working at at the time was super, super involved in refugee ministry. Mm. And so we lived in a county and in a community where refugees were constantly just coming and being resettled. And so our, our church as a whole was doing lots of ministries geared at refugees in the area. So we had um, an English as a second language program and a sewing ministry um, and like a basic coding class for people yeah. to learn how to code. So like all these different things. And You're so, teaching electrical engineering on the side. <laughs> naturally. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things that we started seeing was that the high schoolers in our youth ministry were interacting with these refugees in various ways, um, sometimes at church, just kind of in passing, uh, oftentimes in their schools where they would wind up in the same classes as a refugee friend. Um, but they had no real knowledge or understanding of what a refugee was or what the needs were or how that person's life was different than their own. And so um, we were doing a three-year mission trip cycle in our congregation. And so that happened to be a year that we were looking at going on an international trip. And so I started thinking, what if instead of going someplace just super exotic, just for the heck of it, um, what if we actually tried to find a way to get kids on the other side of the refugee highway into a refugee camp so that they would understand the origins of refugees? Um, and so like, it wasn't even a matter of trying to find the exact camp that people were coming from, but just, you know, a similar experience. Uh, and so through the partnerships and the networks that we had started working the phones and essentially saying, Hey, is it possible to take a group of high schoolers who have no skills and no training, uh, into a refugee camp? And I found exactly one group who said yes to that. Uh, And it was a missionary couple in Kigali, uh, which is in Rwanda, and they were actively working in a refugee camp in Western Rwanda uh, that had about 20,000 Congolese refugees in it. And so we spent a year as a team doing a deep dive into what are refugees, how do you do cross-cultural ministry, uh, and then spent two weeks together in Rwanda. And wow. you know, that trip was seven years ago now. And so the kids who 2011, were... 2011, right? 2011. And so the kids who were on that trip have now all graduated from college. And it has been so incredible to see the fruit of that trip bear wow. out in what they're doing vocationally. Um, so for this, you know, we took eight kids. It was a small trip. But for those eight kids, um, almost every single one of them went into a career that directly related to the fact that they stood on this refugee yeah. camp. So 
you know, one kid is finishing dental school because when we were in the refugee camp, he noticed that there were lots of doctors, but there were no dentists. And he said, mm. I can do something about that. Uh, so he set out on this path to go to dental school so that he can get back to these refugee camps and get mm. back. Um, another kid is in grad school studying agricultural development. Uh, because when we were there, we visited a small rural town and they were trying to figure out how to maximize the land. So Rwanda is a country that has very little land. Um, and so it's really hard to grow things and it's really hard to, um, to keep animals just because the space is so precious. Uh, and so this girl went, you know, if we can fix that, if we can find a way to maximize the space, um, we can give people such a jump. Uh, and so she's doing that. Another girl is working full time for um, a refugee organization in the Chicago area. And like the list just goes on and on. Uh, and so those sort of, I mean, that's a big example, but yeah. it's definitely, you asked for a favorite in that trip. Yeah. That trip was it. That's incredible. What a what a, an amazing story of like when you're telling me that story, all I can think about is like the Good Samaritan, right? And like this question of who is my neighbor, uh, because you know for these kids, right? You talk about they're in you know this community that have refugees coming in, yeah. uh, and it's one thing to see your neighbor and go, well, they're just like me but then when you're put in their shoes yep. of what they've walked through and where they've come from like yep, i can't help but think that that just like that increases empathy and passion for yep. people and that that's been something for me i think over the last couple of years um that i've identified as this like characteristic that i feel like our world is missing so much. Like I, f I feel like empathy almost seems like it's non-existent. <laughs> um, yep. And we, we try to like, we talk about people as groups more than like, more than them, yeah, more than them and their stories. And, yep. Um, yep. and I think there's something very true of that. Like s seeing your neighbor, right. Like as yourself, and that's this very individual kind of thing. And so. Um, and with that, I mean, one of the incredible things too. So, I mean, we were coming back from this mission trip into this community where again, refugee ministry was a part of our congregation's DNA. And mm -hmm. so like our kids would go and deliver uh, this thing that we called welcome packs, which was essentially a refugee gets to the U S and they usually have either a bag or a small suitcase of literally all the mm -hmm. things that they own in the world. Um, and they have nothing else in this apartment. And so we'd show up on the day that they arrived with, you know, basic groceries and kitchen things and bathroom things and shampoo and conditioner. Um, and what was so amazing about that is that, you know, we'd be in someone's home, um, someone who had literally just showed up in the U.S., um, and before when we had done these packs, you know, our kids would get so frustrated because a refugee would do stuff like try to put shampoo in a refrigerator and our kids could not understand why they didn't know and why they didn't get that shampoo does not go in a refrigerator. Um, and then having been in a refugee camp, they realized, wait a minute, there are no refrigerators. And so no wonder they don't know what shampoo is. They've never yeah. seen shampoo is, and they've also never had a refrigerator. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that sort of empathy yeah. um, was incredible 
incredible and was just such a part of the experience that our kids walked away from with that. Oh, it'll absolutely alter your life. I would, so you have a, you have a book, right? That's specifically about missions. I'm, I'm assuming like maybe the story impacted some of you, right? To even write something like this. Give us a little bit of insight in, in that book specifically uh, and, and maybe how that plays out and, and how you see that being a benefit to youth ministers who do, you know, short-term trips and in, in their structure of student ministry or in their church. Yeah, so I um, grew up in a youth group who also did mission trips. And so, you know, I had that sort of paradigm in my mind, even as a young 21, 22-year-old, when I first started in youth ministry that, oh my gosh, I want to do mission trips. There's nothing like them. Um, And I didn't really have any theological framework for that other than like, that's what I did as a youth group kid and it was good. So we need to do them now. Uh, And so my very first year in youth ministry, I led a trip to West Virginia um, that pretty much horrified me in every way, um, in ways that I just didn't expect it to. Uh, And so, you know, there was a group of 400 students. um, You know, I was a very small fraction of that. But 400 students going into this very rural town and essentially invading for a week. Uh, And what I watched happen was that the mission trip organization uh, was there a week before us. And then they led these trips and then they stayed a week after essentially to do cleanup. And then they were out. Um, And I watched that as a young youth worker and thought, this doesn't fit for me. Like there's something off on this. I can't quite identify what it is, but this doesn't feel right. Um, On the same trip, I watched as uh, one of the staff positions with this mission trip organization was they had a photographer that went out to every work site um, and would take pictures. And so as it happened, my work site was one of the places that the photographer went on the first day. And so here we were at this work site, elderly man, um, and this photographer shows up and essentially manhandles this man whose home we're in, who we had just met, forcing him to come outside, stand in pictures with us. And I thought, you are robbing this man of dignity. Um, Like he's got nothing left. Uh, And so that experience then really made me start wrestling with, okay, like there's got to be a better way. Like I understand that mission trips can be good for those who go on them. um, But how do we do this in a way that actually gives dignity? That's about relationships. um, That's about long-term faith formation, but doesn't just grew up the community that we're trying to help. Uh, And so really through a bunch of trial and error, landed on this rotational model um, that was very much about partnerships with people and with organizations that we kept going back to within the framework of this three-year mission trip cycle. Um, And then, so the partnerships is a key component of that. Um, doing stuff like being honest about how we fundraise for mission trips. So, you know, I can't even tell you how many people I talk to who will make the statement of, you know, when we do our mission trip fundraising, we have all these signs that are like, your mission trip money is going to help these kids in Appalachia or on an Indian reservation or overseas, wherever it is, right? But in reality, the money is going to send the kids from that church to that place. And it's not actually helping them 
those folks. And so that sense of like, let's be honest about how we fundraise and about who actually benefits from mission trip, um, maybe even fundraise more than we need to so that when we go into a community, we have money that, that we can give to host organizations that they can use to their own discretion. Um, and so then a piece of all of that then becomes really figuring out what is it that your congregation is passionate about so that you can tap into that so that mission trips are no longer a matter of like, let's choose the coolest place that we want to go right. to, but instead let's pick a place that somehow ties back to ministry that our congregation is already involved in so that we can plug kids into that once we get home, teaching them how to use their gifts, both away, but also when they get back home. Um, and a big part of that then means that to do mission trips well, we have to do a lot of prep work. Um, I would say for every day that the trip is long, uh, you have to have about a month's worth of prep work there. Uh, and so, you know, making that time investment, um, expecting big things of kids, but then also doing debriefing on the other end to help kids unpack their experience and right. more unpack their experience to help kids actually figure out what does it mean to integrate this week-long or two-week-long trip into my daily life so that it's not this thing that's removed from everything else that I do and all that I am, um, mm. but that really becomes a part of me. Yeah, that's so good. There's, there's so many elements that go into mission work, right? Like it's, it's more than everybody getting in the same t-shirt and hopping on the plane, right? Um, and, and not only for us and our student ministry, but, you know, across the ocean or across the border or wherever, uh, it's at, like there's, there's so much that goes into that and thinking through that longevity. I heard, um, I heard, uh, someone talking about, uh, the economics of, you know, of, of mission stuff and the story that he told was, um, of a man who uh, had bought a few chickens that he was going to begin to produce eggs for his village and sell his eggs. And that was going to be, this was that man's livelihood. And um, a, a big church found this village that was, you know, starving and you know what I mean? Those kind of things. And, uh, and they started buying chickens and eggs all, you know what I mean? For this town and, you know, this man went, you know, belly up. And I mean, you can't sell eggs to someone who everybody's now getting cartons of eggs. Right. Um, and, and then eventually that church moved on and there were no more eggs. And now this man no longer has chickens, right? Because he got rid of them and, and they were in this place that was like even much worse than they were before it all started. And, and I think it's so important that we don't just think about the week or the two weeks that our students are there, but generations, right. And the impact Absolutely. that that has on things. Um, partnership element is so yeah, huge. There, right? It's huge. It's huge. All right. So you get to go back in time. And you get to have a conversation with like first year you, right? Like <laughs> straight out of okay. electro, uh, electrical engineer. By the way, I've got this great idea for the Jenga game where the two <laughs> chairs 
uh, just send a small volt of electricity at random times. And I think you could help me finally build this. Figure it out. I've been thinking about it for years. I think it puts a whole new spin, spin on Jenga that makes it way better. Oh, for sure. Um, you get to go back in time. Sorry. I, I, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, you get to go back in time, have a conversation with yourself. Um, what advice would you give yourself? Um, so as I mentioned, my first year was a disaster in pretty much every way. So there's a lot. I wish I could tell my first year self. Um, one of them would be slow down. Um, so, you know, I went in just with a sense of everything's wrong and I have to fix it all and I have to fix it all right now. Uh, and in the process of doing that, um, totally missed the fact that I was walking into a congregation that had a story and a history, um, and a story and a history that I didn't know and I didn't understand. Uh, and I would have been so much better equipped to minister to that congregation in that time and space had I taken the time to understand their history and their story. Uh, and likewise, uh, so as a 21, 22 year old. I mean, I was cocky. I was arrogant. Even though I had no theological training, I thought I knew how to do it all and I knew how to do it all right. And so I listened to no one. And in addition to that, I also ran towards conflict. Um, and so I would tell myself that there are some hills worth dying on, uh, but not all of them. And so know your battles, know the things that you are willing to get fired for and the things that you aren't and the things that you're not. Um, Maybe it's something that means that you just don't touch, you don't deal with. Uh, Maybe it's something that you deal with through another person. Maybe it's something you deal with later. Um, But to be able to distinguish and recognize that not every conflict is worth actually um, fighting over. Mm. So good, Jen. I've absolutely... Loved our conversation, and I thank you so much um, for being on. I feel like I've I feel like I've learned a lot from you in just a short little period of time, and so thank you for being on. Well, thanks, Chad. Thanks for having us. Thanks for recognizing women uh, and for doing this month long crazy thing, which is awesome. It's by the our, way, it's very much our pleasure. Uh, as I sit here and think about everything you said from the ministry with the refugees and your first church. Um, I think there's so, there's actually so much, I think we can learn from those two things and how they on the surface may look so different, but are actually, I think, so, so similar. <laughs> and I think for, uh, for us listening and f- for you that you may be sitting here, listening to us in your uh, earbuds, and you may be in that same position, right? In your church that you feel like everything's going horrible and you just want it all to change extremely fast. And uh, my encouragement to you today is uh, to put yourself in their shoes, uh, to know and take time to listen to the hurts, to the pains, to the joys that the people in your congregation um, may have walked through in the past, not only for them individually, but for them collectively as a body in that church. And I think it's so easy for us to get in with big ideas and having seen how someone else has done it. And we just want to shake them and go, hey, let's change this really quick. Uh, and I think that there's great wisdom in what you said, Jen, of slowing down, 
uh, and listening. And so thank you for listening today and we'll see you tomorrow. There you go. That's our interview with Jen, a wonderful, amazing youth minister, author, mom, and sometimes engineer. Jen, thank you so much for sharing on the podcast today. If you'd love to learn more about what Jen does and where you can find her writings, check the links in the show notes below. Thanks for listening. Again, visit youthministrybooster.com slash giveaway for your chance to win a year's worth of goodies for your favorite woman in youth ministry, which could be you or a friend or whoever that you think is an amazing woman in youth ministry. We are celebrating all month long. Thanks for checking out this episode. An exciting one for you tomorrow to check out. And until then, we'll see you on the network. I'm going to turn your world upside down. And I'm going to show you things you've never seen.